With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I wasn't planning on doing an intro for this one, but you'll see this episode of my favorites, my favorite books that I've read recently, and I have some other criteria, which I describe in the episode. But after I finish the episode, keep listening because Jay suggested I add one more thing about how I learn from these books, and I add that at the very end. So welcome to another episode of My Favorites. We've covered lots of different topics in this, and right now, I want to recommend some books, but I've got some rules. One is every book has to be entertaining. Like it's got to be a fun book to read. I don't want to suggest any books. First off, nobody has to follow just because I like a book doesn't mean you're going to like the book, but maybe you will, maybe you won't. I'm going to talk about books that have been extremely fascinating to me that I've read all in the past year and, or even in the past few months. And A, they've got to be entertaining because I want to make sure people have fun. I don't like reading books that are boring, so I assume that's the same for you. They've got to be educational. So I'm actually not including fiction books in this because everybody's fictional tastes are different. And just because I like a fictional book uh, doesn't mean anyone else will. The other thing is I'm not including any books that we already discussed on the podcast because... I love all of the books that I've read for this podcast. In some cases, I've read a book, have not liked it, and have unscheduled the author, and I've probably lost friends that way, but I have had some cases where I didn't like a book, and so I couldn't really talk about it on the podcast, or I didn't want to talk about it on the podcast, and so I've unscheduled the the interview. My apologies to those people. Maybe I just didn't get it. So, but I'm not going to talk about any books on the podcast because I like all those books. And also then I would have to mention every single book. So these are books that I've read casually, didn't read them for the podcast and enjoyed them. Of course, I'm not including fiction. I'm not including books I didn't enjoy. And I'll give you what I learned or what I think about each one. So the first one is the book Creativity, The Psychology of Discovery and Invention by Mihaly, I don't know how to say his name, Six Cent Mihaly, yeah. He's the, he's the guy who wrote the book Flow, which I've discussed a lot on this podcast. But this book, Creativity, I think is the better book where he kind of summarizes all his research about what creativity is. And it really resonated with me. Like he really talks about how to foster and develop your creativity, but it's not in some kind of BS way. He studied like hundreds and hundreds of artists, writers, inventors, entrepreneurs. He talks about their creative routine. He talks about what their surroundings are. He talks about creativity and flow. And, you know, he also starts to talk about do creatives enjoy what they do, which I think is a really interesting discussion because creativity is not necessarily enjoyable. 
sometimes when you're being creative, you have a lot of self-doubt, you have a lot of anxiety. Writing a book is usually a very boring thing, for instance, but you have to do it to create the book. He describes, for instance, he talked to uh, dancers, composers, chess players, writers, artists, and he asked them to describe the flow experience while they were being creative. So here's his list. There are clear goals every step of the way. So for instance, he says the musician knows what to play next. The rock climber knows the next moves to make. When a job is enjoyable, it also has clear goals. The surgeon is aware how the incision shall proceed moment by moment. The farmer has a plan for how to carry out the planning, et cetera. There is immediate feedback to one's actions. And again, he says this is in contrast to usual state affairs. In a flow experience, we know how well we are doing. The musician hears right away whether the note plate is the right one, et cetera, et cetera. There is a balance between challenges and skills. In flow, we feel that our abilities are well matched to the opportunities for action. So this way, it's not, it's not, he's saying it's not enjoyable if the creativity is too easy. You have to challenge yourself, and that's part of the way you slip into this mental state of flow and and focus. Action, number four, action and awareness are merged. It is typical of everyday experiences that our minds are disjointed from what we do. Sitting in class, students may appear to be paying attention, but they're actually thinking about lunch. But in flow, you're doing and thinking the same thing. Number five, distractions are excluded from consciousness, so nothing can get in your way. Number six, there is no worry of failure. When you're in flow with creativity, you don't care whether it's financially successful or not. You just care about being the most creative you could be. Self-consciousness disappears. You don't care what people think of you. The sense of time becomes distorted. Like that's why one hour could seem like six hours later, you know, you finally get up when you're, when you're painting or writing. And the, he said, number nine is the activity becomes autotelic, which I don't know what that means. So I'll just leave that at that. And then he talks about the conditions for flow and creativity. He talks about creative surroundings. He talks about the early years of creatives, the later work, create how creativity ages with, with the artist, uh, uh, the domain of life, the domain of the future. I don't know. I just thought this was a very excellent book, which confirmed and also enhanced a lot of my own ideas about creativity, which is something I think and write a lot about. I think this is the best book I've ever read on creativity and I highly recommend it. So now this next book that I've recently read, I read this about a month ago and I thought it was really great. And people might not like the author and he's been kind of canceled, but he actually writes a lot about that too. So it's called Apropos of Nothing. It's an autobiography by Woody Allen. Now, of course, Woody Allen's made, I don't know, 50 or so movies. Most of them have done pretty well. He's made a lot of money. Uh, even though he's made all his movies, his movies are very different now than the usual movies made. His movies are very low budget. My guess is he makes a million or so a movie for himself. He's scandalous in the sense that he was going out with Mio Farrow. Sunyi Previn was her adopted daughter. He ends up going out with and then marrying. And he's mar been married for 20 years now with Sunyi Previn and has two kids with her. That's been very scandalous. Mio Farrow has accused him of other things. Woody Allen addresses detail by detail every accusation with backup sources. So it's worth reading even just for the gossipy stuff. But I also like, he's, his career is almost 60 years. Like in the 1960s, he was um, uh, a comedic writer for other comedians and for television. 
Then he was a a, a famous and well-known stand-up comedian. Most people don't know that he had a, a huge career as a stand-up comedian. Then he started making movies and some were comedy and then later on some were dramatic. And he just describes his creative process. I mean, to have a 60-year creative career is very difficult and it's very interesting to hear his point of view. I also am, admire the fact that he, he it, it, kind of like what Mihaly is saying in his book, Creativity, Woody Allen seems to not care at all what people think of him. And on the one hand, I wish I were like that. On the other hand, I wonder if that's such a good thing when people don't care at all uh, what other people think about them. Like, I think you have to care a little bit and maybe he does because he cares enough that he wrote this book and addressed these. You could tell he was hurt by a lot of these accusations and not only the accusations, but how other people treated him when they didn't really know whether the accusations were true or not. And so, I don't know. It's a very interesting autobiography. He's a big part of our culture. No matter what you think of him, he's a big part of our cultural history since the 1960s. I remember as a little kid when uh, my parents saw a Woody Allen movie. It's like one of my first memories. And they described it to me about a man um, who falls to sleep and then wakes up in the future and gets some the leader's nose. And I don't know. I was like three or four years old when they were describing this plot to me. And it sounded fascinating. And only later I realized it was the Woody Allen movie was called Sleeper. This book is very interesting. It's called Basic Economics, A Common Sense Guide to the Economy. It's by Thomas Sowell. He's a scholar in residence in, at Stanford and at the Hoover Institution. He's, I'll just have to say it, he's, he's known also for being one of the top African-American conservative thinkers. He's, his style of economics is very similar to Milton Friedman, who won the Nobel Prize in economics. And reading this book was a very good, I didn't read the whole book. It's a huge book and it contains a lot of different um, articles and topics, but it was a really good common sense guide to economics. And it made a lot of sense to me. And I've watched some of his videos on YouTube afterwards. and It was very good. So basic economics by Thomas Sowell. Now I'm not recommending anything that I've talked about on the podcast, except this one book I'm recommending because I used to read it for years and years before she came on the podcast. I didn't read the book for the podcast, but this is a book I reread constantly. It's called Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. So Cheryl Strayed's a very literary kind of writer. She wrote the novel Wild, which became a movie. But Tiny Beautiful Things is a collection of an advice column she used to write. It was an anonymous advice column. And I just thought the way she gave advice was really beautiful. And I liked her, the way, her advice and I liked the way she wrote it. Um, it was like a Q&A type of thing. People would ask her questions and then she'd write an article about it. I would recommend reading it. She just had a really good, honest, vulnerable way. She had a big influence on, on how I wrote. Like she was very, before she would answer anybody's question, she would really acknowledge her own weaknesses in answering the question. I think that's important. Like you can't, nobody's an expert on anything, to be honest. I mean, some people know more about nuclear physics than others, but in terms of like life issues, yes, it's good to listen to people with more experience than you, but you still have to make up your own mind and you have to understand what other people went through to come to the conclusions that they come to. And I like how Cheryl Strayed is really honest and really uh, vulnerable about how she realized certain things like about relationships and parenting and, you know, career and, and so on. And it's a very, very beautiful book. 
So that's Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. Here is another book that I have not read, but I am looking forward to reading it. It's called King Peggy. And this is about this, this woman. So it's, it's written by Eleanor Her Herman and Peggy, and it's a true story. And it's a funny, a funny thing. So first off, I'll tell you a little background. Uh, my wife, Robin, was reading another book by Eleanor Her Herman called Sex with Kings. And it was about the story of all these women who were not the king, but the mistress of the king. And we never really know what kind of life or lifestyle all these women throughout history have had that have had such a big influence on history. So this woman, Eleanor Herman, wrote a book about it. She also wrote a book called Sex with Presidents. And so I liked the idea of the book. And, and Robin suggested, boy, this would make a great movie or TV show. So I suggested, well, why don't you call up Eleanor Herman and ask her about it? So we we contacted her, Robin contacted her, and Eleanor Herman agreed to talk to us. And we just talked about what the possibilities were in terms of optioning her book for a movie. And it was already, it had already been optioned. But then she mentioned another book, or, or while, while I was researching her before the call, I saw this other book she wrote, which looked fascinating to me, called King Peggy. And it's about a woman who was a secretary in Washington, D.C., who suddenly finds out that she was a queen of this town in Ghana. It's a town of 7,000 people. And she finds that she's the ruler of the town by ancestry. And it's an amazing story. And she doesn't want to be called a, a queen. She wants to be called a king. So that's why it's called King Peggy. And I'm just reading from the back. She discovers there's no running water, no doctor, no high school. Many of the village elders are stealing the town's funds. And on and on. So I'm, I haven't read this book, but I'm really looking forward to reading it within the next few weeks. So that could be interesting. This was a very interesting book. It's called Liberal Fascism by Jonah Goldberg. And actually, Jay, I know you're listening to this. We should get Jonah on the podcast. And it's the secret history of the American left from Mussolini to the politics of change. Now, he's not left or right. In fact, I also get his newsletter on Substack. And... In his newsletter, he's both anti-Republican, anti, he's anti everything that he thinks is hypocrisy. And so, and, and it covers both sides, which is obvious. But this was an interesting history of all the fascist movements out there. This book, Liberal Fascism, it's a, a history of Nazism. It's a history of Mussolini. It's kind of shows the philosophical underpinnings of not liberal thinking, but kind of fascist thinking and an intersection between Marxist thinking and fascist thinking. And by the way, this doesn't say all fascism is left, just like it's not the case that all fascism is alt-right. In fact, I didn't really know the definition of fascism before I read this. And so this was a very interesting book by Jonah Goldberg called Liberal Fascism. As I mentioned in another podcast, I am trying to improve at chess. Now, when I was a kid, I was already a chess master, but I've slipped from that point when you don't do something for a long time. And so this book, Chess Improvement by Peter Wells and Barry Heimer is very interesting, not because it gives good chess tips, but it's like a combination between a chess book and the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. So mindset talks about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. 
And these guys, Barry and Peter, they talk about how a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset could change the way you learn something like chess. And I realized much to my horror that I had a fixed mindset, i.e. the wrong mindset for improving at chess, which explained a lot of things to me about, you know, when I got frustrated and when I was a sore loser. And there's some chapters like failure, why it's needed and how to deal with it, metacognition, cooperation, the social reality of chess improvement. They talk about motivation and the role of praise and motivation. And there's a lot of discussion about mindset and chess and how to tell what mindset you have. For instance, in chess, you know you improve if your ranking goes up, it's called your rating. And a fixed mindset have a strong focus to the point of obsession. A rating is the foremost symbol of your status as a chess player. Just like in tennis, you know, your ranking in the world ranking system or for a job, it might be your salary or your title. So a fixed mindset, you focus on rating because you want to choose your opponents so that your rating goes higher, which is the wrong way you should choose. You should want opponents that are going to challenge you and make you a better player. And I found this is very much resonated with me is that I was so obsessed with rating that I actually stopped playing in tournaments 23 years ago so as not to have my rating go down. Growth mindset also has a strong focus on rating, but for a very different reason. You say to yourself, I'm not much interested in the status a rating brings, but in the accompanying opportunities to play in more challenging and hence more exciting events. The expectation is that if I improve my knowledge and understanding of my game, my rating will look after itself. So they give up many different examples of how to tell what your mindset is and how to handle motivation, praise, uh, attitude towards other people, gamesmanship, uh, approach to defeats. So I don't know. It's a very interesting book. I'd never seen a book like that. Usually a books about chess improvement contain lots of puzzles and problems and games. This contains almost none of that and is all about kind of mindset and, and learning in general, which is also a topic of mine. I should mention in my book, Skip the Line, that's coming out in February, there's a lot of stuff about what I call meta-learning. So you could learn uh, if you switch passions or interests later in life, you could skip the line basically and become one of the top 1% in your new industry so you can monetize as quickly as possible. And so it's all about learning and creativity. It's not like this book, but you know, books about learning and creativity are I'm very interested in because they are components of, of skipping the line. Another book I read this past year that I really loved was These Truths by Jill Lepore. And again, I don't read books knowing whether someone's liberal or conservative. It turns out Jill Lepore is a professor at Harvard and she is very much on the uh, liberal side. But I, and and I, I loved her book. Uh, it's a history of the United States from way back. And I couldn't really tell what political philosophy it was. I don't really care about that. But there were so many interesting things I didn't know about American history. And she goes over almost year by year. And, and she's a great writer. She also wrote a, another great book. I didn't realize this until just now, even though I had read the book years ago, The Secret History of Wonder Woman, which told the story of how the comic book hero Wonder Woman was developed. But These Truths by Jill Lepore. So again, to summarize, um, These Truths by Jill Lepore, uh, Liberal Fascism by Jonah Goldberg, Chess Improvement by Barry Heimer and Peter Wells, King Peggy by Eleanor Herman, Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell, Woody Allen's Autobiography, Apropos of Nothing, and Creativity, The Psychology of Discovery and Invention, 
by Mihaly. I can't say his name. There's other books that have been my favorites during this past year, but a lot of those people, of course, came on my podcast, and I'm not recommending books right now that were on the podcast. If I were to recommend something, one book that I have used as a reference over and over again is Consider This by Chuck Palahniuk, uh, because it's the best book I've ever read about, or one of the best books I ever read, like top three about writing. And I just think it's an excellent book. And I've, I've handed that out as a gift to several people, but trying to think, um, there's other books, of course, and I've learned so much from these books that I just said to you, uh, in particular, you know, just very directly, well, I can't think of which one stood out. I mean, I've quoted almost all of these books at one point or other, or I've written about them, or I've written about the ideas in them, or I've explored these ideas for myself and, and, and maybe went a little further. So I highly recommend these books. I like books where I read the book and I feel like my IQ went higher. Like, I feel like I learned something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And I don't think, I think it's very hard to remember most of the things you read. I, uh, read, I, I remember one time talking to Stephen Dubner who wrote Freakonomics and I asked him, what percentage of a book do you usually remember? And he said, probably just one or 2%. And I thought he was going to say something like 10 to 20%, but one or 2% is probably more accurate. I would say with these books, I probably remember more like 5%. And I'm also playing on rereading every one of these books because I learned so much and I know I need to learn more. And again, because you only learn one or two or 3% from great books, they're worth rereading. It's better to reread a great book than to read a new book that's mediocre that you won't learn as much. So I know if I read Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell again, or if I read These Truths by Jill Lepore again, or Creativity by Mahali again, I know I'm going to learn a lot more and it'll be, it'll be great. So anyway, those are my favorites on books. And most of these books I've read in the past few months. And again, they're entertaining, they're page turners, but they're also educational and they're fun. I think probably anyone would like these books except for maybe chess improvement. Although that one was interesting just from the view of meta learning and its relationship with the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. So if you don't want to read chess improvement, read Mindset by Carol Dweck. I'll throw in another one, actually, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's a book about Elizabeth Gilbert's creativity. She's a, a well-known writer. And I found the story of her journey in writing was very fascinating. So Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And that's it. By the way, the book Creativity by Mihaly, and I, I can't say his last name, that's where I got this idea of that create to be successful at something is you have to be successful at the skills, the domain, and the field. This he talks about a lot in, in this book and what it means to be good at the skills, what it means to be good at the domain, and what it means to be good at the field. A quick example, podcasting, you could have the skills of a podcaster, but then you need to know the domain, like, okay, you know, this is what a podcast is. A podcast has to be distributed. A podcast has to get viewers. A podcast has to get advertisers. A podcast, you have to find good guests. And then the field is knowing all the companies and software and players in the field. And the skills, of course, are, you know, being a good interviewer. So everything can be broken down into the skills, domain, and field 
any creativity in any industry can be broken down that way. And I found that was very interesting. And I've quoted that uh, and stolen that from him. And all of these books I have like used in my daily conversations, which always knows that a book is a success. So anyway, if you read any of these, let me know. This is another episode of my favorites. Next week, I'm going to talk about television, but in two ways. One is some TV shows that have really inspired me in the past few months, but also the eight or nine times over the past 30 years that I have pitched television shows and I've gotten so close. I've been in the room with the main decision makers at basically every network out there. And I have yet to get one show on TV. Although once I was offered a TV show and I turned it down and the other eight or nine times I've been rejected hundreds of times by all the different networks, even though I was close, I had the agent, I had the production company, I had people involved anyway. So I'm going to talk about my favorite TV shows and what I learned, but also the times that I've pitched what I thought was cutting edge TV and maybe it was too cutting edge and I was rejected each time. So that'll be the next episode of my favorites. Today was my favorite books from the past few months. And these are not all of them. These are just some of them. So I'll probably have another episode like this at some point, but enjoy and let me know if you like this and please review the podcast on Apple's iTunes. It helps the ranking go up and check out my new book, Skip the Line. It's uh, great if you could pre-order it February 23rd. I'm going to think of some, save your receipt or whatever, because I'm going to think of some prize or, or awards or rewards for people who pre-order the book. Anyway, thanks so much and see you soon. So Jay suggested I also talk about how I remember things and learn things from each book. And so first off, the best thing is if you just remember things, it means that the book had a really big impact. Like you can't ignore the fact that just natural memory is powerful. But if there's a particular quote, I always have my pad with me, my pad that I write my list of 10 ideas a day down. And if there's a quote that I particularly love, and want to remember, I'll write it down and maybe I'll even include it in an article or whatever. So I've written down or bookmarked or underlined things in every single one of these books, but writing things down really helps you remember. So if there's a really important point, I always write it down. You know, when I'm reading for the podcast, I have to remember and bookmark lots of things because I'm about to interview someone about it. With these books, I don't have to remember anything. I'm just reading them for fun. But if it really has an impact on me and I want to think about it later, I will write it down and usually make a list of the 10 things I read today that I am worth writing down. So I hope that answers that question, that writing things down cements it in your memory, builds the neural connections in the memory. And that concludes that.